Go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 2 Samuel. After today, we've got two more sermons left in 2 Samuel, but we will be taking one more break next Sunday. So, we're almost there, guys. Um, and I, I just, I've been so encouraged by your testimonies and hearing how the Lord has um, spoken to you through the wisdom of His Word in this book and has been encouraging to you. And we've, we've learned much, haven't we, about God and His Word. And we're continuing to do so. Um, 2 Samuel 22, I'm going to read again, verses 21 through 31 <clears throat> in a passage, really a whole big text we started two weeks ago. So uh, here's what the Word of God says. David speaking, the Spirit of God is obviously speaking, but David is writing here in this song saying, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also blameless before the Lord, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. Uh, Sorry, cleanness in his eyes. Verse 26, with the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. You will save the humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty that you may bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord shall enlighten my darkness, for by you I can run against a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He's a shield to all who trust in him. First Baptist Church of Gray Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures. Let's go and thank the Lord for his word this morning. Gracious Father, Lord, the man preaching your word is always completely and utterly dependent upon your spirit. Just as your people who are hearing your word are also completely and utterly dependent upon the spirit. Father, we pause now to acknowledge, to confess together that you are always abundantly faithful. That you've promised to be with us, to pour out your spirit upon us, to work mightily among your people in a way that causes us to persevere and to the end that we might be found standing blameless in your sight. And so we, we just come praying those promises back to you, asking for your help this morning. Pour your spirit out upon us once again. Work mightily through the preaching of your word that it might enlighten our path, that it might be impressed upon our hearts and we might be transformed more and more into the image of your son. That we might be a righteous people walking blamelessly before you. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, there are some passages uh, in the scriptures where the Bible communicates things to us that require us to go past the simple drinking of the milk, as the writer puts it in Hebrews, uh, and take up some more complex things, some more difficult things to understand. And I recognize the irony of this being Family Sunday uh, and how difficult it is to pay attention to milk at times with our 
children in here, and yet we're thankful they're in here. And yet this morning, we just so happened to encounter uh, a very difficult to understand passage. Um, one in Second Samuel 22, where it says in verse 21, again, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. David's, David's writing that. So let me just do this. Let me just give you the big idea first. We have that in our notes. The big idea of this passage is David is blameless before the Lord and the Lord rewarded David according to his righteousness. David is blameless before the Lord and the Lord rewarded David according to his righteousness. Now we have the challenge before us of understanding what David means when he says that. That's going to be our task this morning. So, so here's what we're going to do. We're, going to, we're kind of going to run through the text really quick. And then we're going to come back and kind of camp on verse 21 and following. And see if we can decipher exactly how this is the case. Um, let's start at the beginning. In verses 21 through 25, David is asserting his own righteousness. That's what's taking place here in the, in the text. In this little section of David's song here, he is asserting his own righteousness. Uh, He asserts it in in these verses. You start in verse 21. Again, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. And then down to verse 24, it says, I was also blameless before him and I kept myself from my iniquity. Let me say this positively. David is, is actually saying that he is innocent before the Lord. In fact, what we looked at two weeks ago, when we talked about the, the Lord's delight in David in verse 20, it's actually directly connected with David's righteousness in verse 21. David himself directly connects the two, stating the obvious, though, according to our passage, David kept the ways of the Lord. David did not turn aside from the ways of the Lord. Okay, so we've actually spent a good year now, at least half of that year, talking about how that's not the case with David. So how do we explain this? How does this fit into what I'll call our biblical anthropology, right? By that I mean our biblical understanding of humanity, who people are, made in the image of God, But fallen, having broken covenant in him with Adam, now born in a sinful nature and condemned from conception. That's a a biblical anthropology, isn't it? We would say the the humanity is glorious ruin. (laughs) Made in the image of God, yet rebels at their very heart. And so how does David's claim of righteousness fit in with biblical anthropology? How does this align with your definition of sin or righteousness? How do you reconcile some of David's own statements in Psalm 51 with his bold assertion of righteousness in 2 Samuel 22? Like we know Psalm 51, 5, right? Where David says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Well... 
Okay, I'm going to answer those questions. That's actually like pretty much the sermon. But before I do that, I want to go on to the next uh, area of the text here. I want to take a quick look at what follows in verses 26 through 31. David's asserting his own righteousness. Put a pin in that. We'll get to it a little bit later. Now David is asserting the Lord's faithfulness. In verses 26 through 31, the rest of the, the song, the section here, this is what David's doing. David is asserting the Lord's faithfulness. He starts by exerting his own righteousness, then he goes on to assert the Lord's faithfulness. The Lord exalted him because he was clean in the Lord's sight. And I would argue that verses 26 through 31 provide kind of the take-home message from David's preceding testimony of his covenant faithfulness. Let me explain. In verse 26, you see that where it says, With the merciful, you'll show yourself merciful. In Hebrew, it's hasid. According to Holiday's lexicon, one is hasid if one practices hased. That is covenant loyalty or steadfast love. In other words, with the one who is faithful, the Lord will show himself faithful. David continues in verses 26 through 28. He says, with the merciful, you'll show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. You will save the humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty that you may bring them down. What might be easily missed here is that David's actually just affirming what the scriptures clearly state in the law itself. That is... That the Lord will show covenant faithfulness and steadfast love to those who love Him. We, we looked at this verse two weeks ago from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. It says, Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. To the Hasid, He will show Hased. And then verse 10, it says, And he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. That's what the law says. It was what Moses declares at Deuteronomy on the plains of Moab. In fact, at the very end of Deuteronomy, we hear something similar to what David's expressing at the end of 2 Samuel 22. In fact, if you look at verse 31 of 2 Samuel 22, you'll read, As for God... His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He's a shield to all who trust in Him. We hear something very similar stated by Moses in his song in Deuteronomy 32, but with a slightly darker tint. He says in Deuteronomy 32 verse 4, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is He. And now He looks down the corridor of time in His prophetic office and begins speaking of Israel. They have corrupted themselves. They are not His children because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation. With the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. So in verse 31, David testifies that the the word of the Lord is proven. It is tested as in fire. It comes out the other side as pure, trustworthy, and true. What does David mean? Well, David's actually meaning that he's a living example of this. He is proof, example number one, of the Lord's faithfulness to those who are faithful, to those who keep covenant with Him. That's what David's actually been declaring in this song up until now. And if you weren't here again two weeks ago, you've got to move back a little bit. And, and remember, David started by, by declaring that, 
that all who, who would hear that he was completely dependent upon the Lord. And then he declared his distress, that he was on the very verge of death. And he cried out to the Lord. The Lord heard him and became his defense. In fact, remember, he bent the heavens and came down in this apocalyptic vision as David describes it. Well, David goes on to say, that's in accordance with my righteousness, with the cleanness of my hands. That's who the Lord is. He is faithful to the faithful. David's testifying to all who have ears to hear, the Lord is faithful. And he's saying, I, David, am living proof. See, it's interesting. That's what we actually sang last week during the Lord's Supper, did we not? We sang, great is thy faithfulness. We sang what David himself is declaring in this passage, that this God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. What the Lord has said, He will do. He's not like a man who will change His mind. He's immutable. You can trust the Lord. All who take refuge in Him will, will find He's a faithful shield. But now we've got to return to that pen, don't we? Because this is vital we, we have to go back to verses 21 through 25 where the Lord rewards David because of his righteousness. And the question simply is this. How could David claim to be free from guilt? How? Right? How? Back to verses 21 and 25. Understand that's, that's exactly what David's declaring here. He is entering a plea of not guilty in the court of law. Not before men, by the way. But before the Lord himself. Remember, this is, this is a song to the Lord. So David's not trying to convince other people here. Now I'm blameless and, I, and I'm righteous. and You'll just have to take my word for it. He's speaking to the Lord himself and telling the Lord, according to my righteousness, you have rewarded me. His hands are clean. He has kept the ways of the Lord. He did not turn aside from his rules. Those are David's words. See, see, David doesn't just declare himself not guilty under the court of law. David asserts that his righteousness is actually the very grounds for his deliverance. The Lord has recompensed him according to his righteousness. Now, obviously, part of the reason that we have to slow down a bit this morning is because you got two options here when you come to a text like this. That is, either for most of us going to throw a wrench into our understanding of salvation from a New Testament perspective, or you're just going to read right over it and be like, oh, deal with that another day, not today. Ignore it and, and miss a beautiful lesson from the Lord. So hear me, David was delivered and exalted because he kept the ways of the Lord. So how can David claim to be righteous? In what sense can he claim to have kept the ways of the Lord without turning aside? I mean, most of us are familiar with Romans 3.10, right? You know, where the Apostle Paul says, No one's righteous, no, not one. Interestingly enough, you know what the Apostle Paul is quoting right there? Psalm 14. You want to know who wrote Psalm 14? David, right? I mean, this is problematic. Why? Because we here believe in total depravity, as we should. Man is sinful, not as sinful as he could be, but he is depraved in every part. There is nothing about man that is not 
tainted by sin. Every thought, every word, every deed misses the mark. None of it comes from a heart that fully loves God, nor is it a reflection of the true and abiding love for his neighbor as himself. We know that. The Bible teaches it. But David says, I'm blameless before him. I've kept myself from guilt. So let me deal with the obvious first before we pick up our scalpel together, okay? Many of you, here's what you will want to do. You'll want to to place this song and say, you know what, this is not chronological. David just wrote this before the Bathsheba event. And and actually, you'd be right to do that. He did. You go back all the way to verse 1 of 2 Samuel 22, and what does it say? It says, Then David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. That all his enemies, by the way, would just put my mind, I would place this song right back in 2 Samuel chapter 8. Remember, the Lord delivered him from the Philistines and from the enemies to the north, the south, the east, and west. I would put that at the height of David's reign. He's reflecting on what the Lord has done in both delivering him from the house and hand of Saul and subduing his surrounding enemies. The Lord has delivered and exalted him, so he says, according to my righteousness, you have rewarded me. That's it. Okay, now it makes sense, right? Because this is before the Bathsheba event, so David's not, he was blameless up until that point, and then that's when it all went off the rails. That solves everything, right? Well, it's not really the answer, is it? Because even after the tragic event of Bathsheba and Uriah, David is still depicted as blameless before the Lord. Did you know that? Did you read this week in your reading, 1 Kings chapter 15, verses 4 and 5? Solomon says, nevertheless... For David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem. Well, of course he did, but that's just by pure grace, though. David didn't deserve it, but the Lord did it. And we would handle this better if we just did a little bit of what we call eisegesis and insert our theology right there into the text and use our theology to interpret it. But instead, the text goes on. Verse 5 is up there, isn't it? Why? Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. This is why the Lord is keeping the lamp in Jerusalem. Because David did what was right. David did what was faithful, obedient, righteous, blameless. I'm just reading the text here. Interestingly, by the way, you see that in the verse. The verse I'm quoting in verse 4 and 5 of 1 Kings 15. It says, Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, Except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Then he just keeps moving. <laughs> it just keeps going. You know, what's beautiful about that, right, is, is this, this is the holy, inspired, and errant, infallible word of God. It says the Lord is acting because of David's blamelessness. He was completely blameless, and yet we're not missing the fact of what he did with Bathsheba and Uriah. That's taken into account. And yet he's blameless. In fact... David's blamelessness, if you took our Old Testament survey class, it actually becomes a theme all throughout 1st and 2nd Kings. Almost every king in the kings of Judah is compared to David, who it says over and over and over again, walked in the ways of the Lord. My point is, David could have written the very same thing after the Bathsheba and Uriah event, and my suspicion is most of us really just don't know what to do with that, right? Right? Like the question is, how is David blameless? All right, 
Here's what I've got for us. I've got a multiple choice quiz for us today. It's going to be easy though. Just two words for each answer, four options. Go ahead and grab a pen and paper. Write your answer down. I want you to pass it forward. We'll take them up. We'll grade them. We'll chastise those who are wrong. We'll celebrate those who are right. No, I'm kidding. Here you go. How is David blameless? This is kind of your outline. You can fill it in now or you can wait a little bit. A is no righteousness. He's not righteous. B is perfect righteousness. He's perfectly righteous. C is covenantal, I'm sorry, is imputed righteousness. It's imputed righteousness. And D is covenantal righteousness. There's your four. No righteousness, perfect righteousness, imputed righteousness, or covenantal righteousness. We'll have a moment of silence for ten minutes so that you can have your answer determined, and then we'll conclude our services today after I know. Um, choose one. Just kidding. Time's up. We've got to keep moving. Let's take up no righteousness. First A, no righteousness. Who picked no righteousness? Don't raise your hand, by the way. I know. I saw some of you do it. That's great. Um, I love it. All right, maybe David is just claiming to be blameless and without guilt, but he's, he's deceived, right? After all, the heart is deceitful above all things. Boom, we've answered the question. Let's move on. That won't stick. Why? Because the inerrant and infallible word of God has already asserted that David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. It, it wasn't David's words... It was the divine author of Scripture testifying to David's blamelessness. And the rest of the Old Testament actually depicts David as faithful despite his one blemish. Furthermore, I would say that the author of First and Second Samuel has actually labored to make this point throughout Samuel, particularly in 1 Samuel 24 and 26. that They record David's covenant fidelity. In chapter 24 and 26, if you aren't familiar with it, you've got those two instances of Saul being handed over to David by the Lord. Saul is presented to David, and David has this easy opportunity to, to kill Saul, his enemy who's seeking to destroy him. And in both instances, he doesn't do so. So you have those episodes that serve as witness to David's covenant fidelity. In fact, the blamelessness, righteousness would be explicitly stated in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 16 through 19. Saul actually says this in, verse 24, or in chapter 24. He says, So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. You actually find a very similar thing in chapter 26. I won't take time to read it, but... It's another testimony. And I would, I would argue the author labors to demonstrate David's innocence in back-to-back successive scenes at the beginning of 2 Samuel. Actually, there's three scenes at the beginning of 2 Samuel that he does the very same thing. Right? We know that in chapter 1, David doesn't celebrate the death of Saul and Jonathan, his son. What does he do? He laments over them. 
David doesn't condone the murder of Abner, another man who's out to destroy him. He laments his death and honors him as a great man in Israel. David doesn't reward the murder of his rival Ishbosheth. Instead, he executes justice against those who murdered the son of Saul in his bed. So David arrives in 2 Samuel 6, blameless, it says, according to the law. All that to say, A, no righteousness doesn't seem like a real viable option here. It seems to deny something that the author has been laboring to prove. So let's move on. All right, number B, that letter B, whatever. Letter B, perfect righteousness. Option B, who had it? Maybe David was perfectly righteous apart from the matter with Uriah. We know that that one's not right, right? We, he himself actually denies this. David testifies to his fallen nature not only in Psalm 51, as we've already read, but in Psalm 25, another Psalm of David, he says... Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. So David's not claiming perfect righteousness. In fact, we pointed out how the author of Samuel labors to show David is righteous in one sense, but he also labors to show that David's not perfectly righteous. For instance, in in 2 Samuel 6, when David, remembers attempting to bring the ark into Jerusalem, he falters at first, doesn't he? He doesn't do so according to the law, and Uzzah perishes because of David and Uzzah's sin, but because of David's sin as well. And David's angry over the matter, and then he asks this question. He says, how then will the ark come to me? You realize that in itself is a confession of a lack of perfect righteousness. He realizes the challenge of the Lord's presence coming to him. The perfectly righteous would have no need to ask such a question. Of course, the answer to David's question is the blood of bulls and goats, which he offers every six steps as he brings the ark carefully and cautiously into Jerusalem. So the author himself actually demonstrated that we're not dealing here with perfect righteousness. Okay. C. What about imputed righteousness? Hmm. Now, my guess would be that 98% of you would initially, upon reading this text, would... Import that into the text. In fact, I think it's exactly what I did the first time that I read it. It is our New Testament instinct. We read everything with a New Testament lens. And so we read about David claiming righteousness. And we say, well, he means the righteousness of the Messiah Christ imputed to him. He's clothed in the promise of the Messiah. This is that. And so maybe David's simply asserting his righteousness in the promise of Genesis 3.15. Maybe David is claiming righteousness according to faith alone in one who will come and deliver him from sin. Maybe. Here's the problem. That interpretation would have to ignore David's explicit statements in this text. That he's been rewarded according to his righteousness. He says, my righteousness... The cleanness of my hands. I have not wickedly departed. I have not turned aside. He's not claiming something that someone else has done, which is imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness is to say, I've not done so, but by means of faith, I am receiving the righteousness of another. See, you can actually try to make this passage say imputed righteousness... 
You, you would just simply have to twist every other word or so. That's not a big a deal, right? It is. We can do some hermeneutical gymnastics and make it fit and move on real quick, but we shouldn't do that. David is saying he was delivered because he was faithful, not simply because that God promised someone else would be faithful for him someday in the future. Which leads us to option D. Covenantal righteousness. That is righteousness based on a covenant. Or as we read it in the New Testament, a righteousness based on the law. Now follow me here. Romans 10, for instance. Romans 10, verses 4 and 5. Paul says, For for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. That's what Moses wrote about. Righteousness based on the law. David is claiming covenant fidelity or faithfulness under the law. Essentially what he's saying is, I have been faithful to the covenant and my covenant Lord has been faithful to his promise. That's what he's claiming here. I've been faithful to the covenant and the covenant Lord has been faithful to his promise. He's claiming blamelessness under the law. So we look at, at, at verse 23 of, of chapter 22 and it says, For all his judgments were before me and for his statutes I did not depart from them. What judgments, what statutes, what commandments is David referring to? In this context, it would be really difficult to point out any other judgments or statutes other than the Torah. The law given him Mount Sinai and then given again by Moses repeated in the plains of Moab. So David's not deceived, nor is David perfect, nor is David claiming righteousness by faith alone. David is claiming a covenantal righteousness. David is testifying to his actual covenant faithfulness according to the stipulations of the old covenant. Yes, by grace alone. I'll give you a little wiggle room to relieve the tension here in this room now, but let's be clear. David's faithfulness to the old covenant is what's being rewarded by our covenant Lord. That's what the text says. That's what the text means. And here's the thing. It actually shouldn't create all that much tension for us because after all, Luke makes a similar statement in regards to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Did you know that? If you're familiar with Luke 1, if you read it this week, it says in Luke 1, 6, and they were both righteous before God. But again, this is not imputed. Look what it says. Walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Luke's a New Testament guy, right? He's He's got no problem whatsoever saying that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous. That they walked in the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. So David was righteous and blameless. Zechariah and Elizabeth righteous and blameless. What about Paul? He was blameless, wasn't he? You remember that sinner, Paul? Philippians 3.6. It's what he says about himself. He says, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. What does it mean? David's assertion that he has kept the covenant and received the blessing teaches us something critical about the nature of the covenant that he kept. So so what I want to do now, the rest of our time very quickly, is to show you the pieces we have so far, put them together. David is righteous under the law. Under the law means under the old covenant. The law and the covenant, they're synonymous. They, They go together. David has kept covenant 
And David's covenant Lord has rewarded him with said promise for keeping covenant. That's the covenant equation that's presented over and over and over again in the Old Testament. This reality in 2 Samuel 22 teaches something fundamental about the nature of the covenant. And here it is. Listen. The Old Covenant neither requires perfect obedience nor offers perfect reward. And this is important. Because the question when we hear David's righteousness is, well, does that mean uh, that David can get into heaven based on his righteousness in the Old Covenant? No. No. He cannot. Why? Because it's not a perfect obedience because it wasn't required, nor does faithfulness to the Old Covenant actually give you a perfect reward. That's actually what Paul says all over the place in the New Testament. He says in Romans 10, Galatians 3, the law or the old covenant, it never offered life. It never required perfect obedience and it was never able to give life. That is, other than physical, temporal, long life in the land. So so what did the old covenant require? It required faithfulness, not perfect obedience. And even that, Israel failed, right? See, you realize why the whole sacrificial system was put in place, right? Because, because the people whom the Lord had covenanted with were going to sin. The Lord was one step ahead of them. He was like, you guys are twisted and crooked. Here are the sacrifices that are going to atone for your constant sinning. He didn't do that and require perfect obedience. What he required was covenant fidelity, faithfulness, not sinlessness. See, there's a sense in which this is so obvious on the surface that the Lord could not require righteous perfection from any son of Adam. And it's why from the fall and before It's always about Christ, right? Listen, God didn't create covenants with people and then go, oh no, they failed the covenant. Well, what am I going to do now? Oh no, they failed the covenant. Well, what am I going to do now? I guess I'll send Jesus. No, no, they were always, always about Christ. There was never going to be one before Christ who was going to come in the line of Adam who would be able to offer what was required in order to bring forth that which was promised. Never. Something greater was always required. That's why the new covenant... Uh, writer of, I'm sorry, it's why the New Covenant, as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 8, was enacted on better promises. Now, it's not that those other covenants didn't convey or show or display those better promises. They just didn't contain them. And David's case in point, he was, he was blameless under the Old Covenant. Not because he was without sin, but because he walked in the ways of the Lord. He was covenantly faithful and had fidelity to his God. This is where David really stands apart in the kings of the Old Testament. David's the only one who does not turn away from the Lord being his God. He doesn't reject and serve after pagan gods like Solomon and the kings following. He's covenantly faithful. And that walk can be conceived of broadly as a pattern of life that adheres to the Lord's instructions because one trusts in their covenant Lord and aiming to please him. Not perfection, Still sin and transgressions, but even there, the covenantly faithful partner would trust in the mercy the Lord provides. It's a life of trusting the Lord, repenting of sins, and doing the things He commands, not doing the things He prohibits. So to summarize, David's blameless under the old covenant, 
So he's been rewarded according to righteousness under the old covenant. And, and this is instructive because just as the old covenant, the law did not require perfect righteousness. It did not offer perfect blessing. And here's the thing. It, it, this is critical because there's so much confusion about this. I feel like we know that there are these covenants in the Old Testament. And if the covenant partner just, just would have been faithful... Then they would have received that which was promised. But, but the Lord made covenant with various people. And he actually fulfilled every promise made in every one of those covenants, didn't he? That's explicitly stated all throughout the Old Testament. What about the covenant of Abraham? Did, did the Lord fulfill his promise to Israel's fathers? You bet he did. That's what he said to Joshua. Not one word had failed to come to pass. All of it had been fulfilled. What about Israel? Solomon will say in his benediction after the temple is built, every word that the Lord spoke to Moses has come to pass. Not one has failed. Why? Because that's as good as it gets under the old covenant. That's as good as it gets under any of those covenants. None of those covenants required perfect righteousness, nor was it made with a covenant head who could have performed perfect righteousness. Neither did it offer perfect reward. All of them pointed towards was a display and shadow of the promise of a new covenant enacted on better promises, which is nothing less than the full consummation of the new heavens and new earth for which we await. So, so look, I know that's, a, I told you, you're going to need coffee this morning, uh, right? So here's the take-home point. If you've, if you just heard a lot of words and you're like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Welcome to my week. Uh, here's the point. I got to listen to myself all the time and rarely do I know what I'm talking about. Uh, David, here's the point. David was blameless or righteous according to the law. And, and this actually helps us understand as we read that. That the old covenant required less and offered less. It's a a shadow without substance. Our passage this morning reminds us of that. David was righteous under the old covenant and he received a righteous man's reward. But the shadow of righteousness, it would be ill fit for the pure and holy light of God's perfect justice. That's why Paul can say, according to the righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But what does he go on to say in Philippians 3? But He says, but that was rubbish. I wouldn't dare wear that garment of righteousness in the presence of the Lord. Yeah, it worked fine down here on the horizontal. I mean, under the old covenant, it'll secure faithfulness, reign, defense from physical enemies, that which is offered under that covenant. But you, wasn't the prophet Isaiah righteous? Think about that. Right? The prophet Isaiah was righteous. Surely he would have been among those whom the scriptures would have said he walked blamelessly before the Lord in covenant fidelity to his God. And yet he walks into the presence of the pre-incarnate Christ and says, woe is me. That righteousness under the law, it's a filthy rag. I'm a sinner. A man of unclean lips living among people with unclean lips. Woe is me. I said, okay, well, now I've got the information. Where does that leave us? 
Well, it leaves us trying to better understand the substance the shadow points towards. That's the point. So David, in, this, in the context of this song, says, I was on the verge of death, surrounded by my enemies, about to go down to Sheol. But the Lord bent the heavens, came down and delivered me according to my righteousness. He has recompensed me. Then he goes on to say, that's who our covenant God is. Now, the shadow is always less. The substance is always greater. And so when the, when the truly righteous one came, the perfectly righteous one came, he didn't simply almost go down to Sheol. He went into the very grave for three days, as the scriptures tell us, but they could not hold him. We heard at the very beginning of our service today, the Lord bent the heavens and came down, raising Christ from the dead, vindicating him according to his perfect righteousness. Don't you see? Nothing that came before Christ could accomplish what he accomplished. And everything that came before Christ only pointed to his perfect work. So, so we are those who have heard the better The true and faithful David makes the same proclamation according to my righteousness the Lord has rewarded me. Take refuge in me. There's a sense in which, and I hate to say this because people say this and they mean it in the wrong way. There's a sense in which we should be like David. And what I mean by that is think about what David's testimony here actually is. I I don't think David's claiming a type of righteousness that earns him eternal reward. (laughs) I think David's claiming a type of fidelity, a covenant faithfulness to the law, which is all that was required to him. And yet, what did it actually bring him? Like, he didn't have that imputed righteousness, that's a problem. But what did his covenant fidelity and righteousness in the old covenant actually do for David? Well, think about it. Here's David's testimony. David has just been exalted. And he's speaking to the Lord. But it's meant to be heard by God's people in every generation. David suffered. But he waited, and then he was exalted, and then David's telling his people, listen, this is who your God is. So the people of God who hear this understands our response to such a song of praise is is we simply trust. And this is why this matters, church family. Please don't miss this. It matters because allegiance to Christ is defiance to the world. It is. We stand at a moment in time... Where that will be made more clear than ever. Your allegiance to Christ, it it will cost you safety and security. It may cost you the promise of physical prosperity. It may cost you your health. It may even cost you your life. And yet David stands and testifies, hold fast. Your covenant Lord does not expect your perfection. You cannot give it to Him. That's been provided. But your covenant Lord, He does expect your faithfulness. Your covenant Lord does expect you to hold fast to your confession. To hold fast to your confidence. To know that even if it costs you all that you own, even your very life... In the end, your covenant Lord is more than faithful. And so, hold fast, brothers and sisters. 
In short, a two-second application. Be like David. Flawed, but faithful. That's who we are. David's righteousness was unfaithful to the covenant. Your righteousness required much more of you that you could not bring, but Jesus did. However, you take from David and you simply be faithful to the new covenant. And that new covenant means we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Where our righteousness is just His righteousness and His righteousness is perfect. And our requirement is not that you and I be perfect, but that you and I be faithful to the covenant. Praise be to God. Would you stand as we close this morning? Gracious Father, we thank you for that we even have a more certain hope. For you have made your love manifest in the sending of your Son as a propitiation for our sins. Lord, indeed, you you are more than faithful. All that you have promised, you have, will, and will always do. You will bring to completion that which you have begun here among us this day. Would you cause us to be a people who simply remain faithful, standing blameless on the day that your Son returns. Father, there are many here who I know who are just facing turmoil in such a degree where they're recognizing allegiance to Christ means defiance to the world. Lord, would they remain faithful and would they hold fast their confidence, hold fast their confession that you are abundantly faithful. We ask for your help in this as we know how difficult this task is. We ask for grace as we walk through this, not perfectly, but faithfully. And we ask for your Spirit's help that you would even use these turmoils and trials to mold us more and more into the image of your Son. And it's so precious, Father, when we, the church, get to see that be the case. When we walk through fire, difficulty in this world, and we remain faithful, allegiant to Christ, and at the end of the day, our brothers and sisters see us as more faithful, made more like our our Jesus. Thank you for that. Encourage us and help us to hold fast, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I just love hearing you guys sing. You know that? Don't you Don't you love that? That was one of the things in, as a kid that was so awkward for me that we'd come and sing in church. Um, mainly because my mom would force me to sing specials. Uh, and I, you've probably seen the videos on Facebook. Make us wear all jean in the 90s. It was just like jean everything. Like jean shirts and jeans and like jean ties. Um, but uh, I don't know what this has to do with anything. Um, but regardless, it's a beautiful thing when you grasp the why you would sing. And that is because of the gospel. Why, how could you not sing is the question, right? You understand what Christ has done for you. How do you not respond in singing? And so I'm, I'm, I'm always glad to hear uh, you guys um, sing with us. Um, I want to encourage you this morning. Uh, if you are part of our church family um, and and this was encouraging you in any way. Thank you, by the way, for bearing with me. Uh, you know, I, I got to tell you, it is a, it's a gift. It's a, it's a, 
It's a precious gift to know that when I come to texts like this, I think there are probably many pastors around the world who would just say, this is maybe too difficult to study. I'm just going to skip it. Um, and I, I hope I'm correct in thinking Greg Gables doesn't want that. Like, Greg Gables enjoys digging deep into the Word. Um, and I can't tell you what that does for my heart as a pastor um, in the labor of the text to, to, to know that we're doing this together and that it's encouraging to do. And so thank you for um, the many of you who answered my questions this week and sent me text messages. And um, we're, we're guessing hopefully you've had some help now. We can come respond to those answers again this week. Um, but now we come to the time of our invitation and your church member and you recognize like under the new covenant, we're simply called to be covenantly faithful uh, we're no longer required perfect righteousness, but Jesus was perfectly righteous for us. And now, the, remember, the substance of that for us is faithfulness, fidelity to the gospel, to Jesus as our King. And um, whatever that looks like in your life this week, if, if maybe you've struggled some, some difficulty of recognizing your allegiance to Christ is defiance to the world, and you're wrestling through that, remember, we are... We are knitted together by the Spirit of God in faith to encourage one another. It's the charge of a Christian to encourage, love, and guard each other. It's what we say when we have new covenant members that come into our fold as church members. That you are to guard, love, and encourage them. And so if there's any way that you have a brother or sister here that can encourage you, please let them know. Um, We should be actively looking for ways to do that. Sometimes we fail. Let us know how we can encourage you in response to that. And, and simply, if you're not a Christian this morning, I hope you hear that, that even, the most, even the most faithfully righteous people um, are not going to be rewarded heaven because of their own righteousness. It's simply not enough. You actually do need a perfect righteousness to enter into the presence of God. And there is but one who has it, and his name is Jesus Christ. And by faith in his gospel and the story of his death, uh, burial, resurrection, um, and ascension, you can come into the covenant family based on his blood that was shed for you on Calvary. If you, as we heard in our kids' time, would repent and believe the gospel.